Today's program is part of a special series brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership with funding provided by ACES Aware. Together, we are working to raise awareness about the effects of adverse childhood experiences in hopes of building a healthier community and a brighter future for our children. Dr. B explains the importance of acknowledging our stressors of the past in order to thrive in the present. Plus, she shares practical tips for coping through challenging times and building greater resiliency so you and your family can enjoy healthier and more fulfilling life. Hi, you're listening to Delusional Optimism with Dr. B, where we explore human resiliency and learn how people thrive even after adversity. We break down the complexities of the human brain so concepts are simple and relatable. It's fun and empowering to understand how your earliest experiences influence your relationships today. What makes you tick? Dr. B is a speaker, trainer, and consultant who understands emotions and human development from the inside out. Let's dive into today's episode. Here's Dr. B. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about stress and how all stress is not created equal. If you're interested in furthering this conversation, please email me at contact at drbconnections.com. Or if you just want to know more about me, go to my website at www.drbconnections.com. Now, let's get started. So the problem is that all stress is not created equal. What does that mean? It means that stress has a natural loop that happens when we face events or experiences that challenge us. So the normal stress circulation is helpful in childhood and it leads to learning and growing. So not all stress is quote unquote bad. It's actually quite good and helps us grow and change and develop. People learn new things and benefit the most from new experiences when stress levels are low or at least manageable. So if we're not doing anything, then how can we learn new things? But when we have a, a healthy level of stress, but that it's low and manageable, then we, we have the capacity to learn more. When we have a choice to walk away or stop a situation and regroup, regroup, this is also healthy and a beneficial way of dealing with stress. So being able to walk away from a stressful situation gives us the opportunity to reorganize and then come back to it and be more likely to be successful at whatever it is that we're, we're doing. So let me give you a little bit of an example here of this situation or this uh, potentially stressful problem. Let's think about a baby learning how to walk. Well, wow, one of the most important things that we learn to do in our lives is learn how to walk as a baby. But if you think of a baby and they get up and they take a step kind of or they start to crawl and then they scoot around the table and they let go and they stand and maybe they take a little step and then they plop down and you can literally see the anxiety and stress of that baby as they're learning to do this new task. However, they're also really compelled to keep doing it and they keep trying it and slowly but surely they get better and better and better at it and they end up 
learning how to walk and move across the room. Well, that's kind of how healthy stress works. That's what it looks like in in a baby learning to walk. And you can imagine all kinds of other things that are similar to that, where stress is manageable, but it also leads to new developments. So compare that to not being allowed to walk. Now, let's think about if we had a baby who is at the age, you know, around one, a little bit younger maybe, or maybe a few months older, who's trying to learn to walk or who would naturally be learning to walk, but they're not allowed to walk. So somebody keeps them from walking. Now, because the this is almost a need in the body, it's going to be very, very stressful to keep a baby from walking when that is sort of where their developmental trajectory is taking them. So that would be an unhealthy level or experience of stress to not be allowed to do something that you really need to be doing. So learning to ride a bike is another thing. Think about that. That's a stressful thing to learn how to do. I was just talking to my granddaughter about riding a bike without training wheels and and she's very anxious about it because she said, you know, if I take my training wheels off, I can't put them back on. And so she's worried about it. And at the same time, she really is at the age where she's, you know, developmentally appropriately ready to learn how to ride her two-wheeler. It's hard at first, and people feel the initial stress of something that's hard, but that comes from the worry, like, what if I can't learn to ride a bike? You know, not as much as I'm afraid of what will happen, but what if I can't learn how to do something? Well, that's really stressful to think that you're not going to be able to accomplish something. So with scaffolding support from a loving adult, stress gets mediated. So when we as loving parents, loving teachers, loving adults in children's environments support children as they learn new tasks and do new things developmentally, we mediate that stress for them. We don't take it away. We don't make it all easy peasy, but we do help to mediate it and make it tolerable. And it helps to soothe the stress a bit, which is such a great example to teach children to self-soothe themselves at times. This makes the learning process easier. And then eventually, as you get better at whatever it is that you're learning, it becomes sort of the habit of how we learn new things. Whenever we're learning something new, it's a little bit stressful, but we learn how to manage that stress to overcome and move forward. Stress becomes less activated and less fear-related. The stress response is healthy. It's not, it's not a bad thing, but sometimes stress that's persistent and demanding feels, pulls for our feelings of fear and activates our anxiety and worry. 
Toxic stress. Now that we were talking about was healthy stress. Now we're going to talk about why stress isn't all equal. Because there's another kind of stress called toxic stress. And this kind of stress is different. This is the unrelenting activation of the body's stress response system. This is the kind of stress that we can't turn off. Like it is it is it is not avoidable. Children often need a protective adult to support them when they're experiencing this kind of stress because this is how children learn how to cycle through stress rather than get completely sucked into it. Now, I say that about children, but often adults are the same way if they didn't have a parent or a loving caregiver or relationship who helped them manage stress. They can also often get sucked into this toxic stress response rather than being able to cycle through the healthy process of stress. So when a child is experiencing or has experiences strong, frequent, prolonged stress, or like we were talking about in the previous episode, adverse childhood experiences or trauma, such as physical or emotional abuse, chronic neglect, caregiver substance misuse, caregiver mental illness, exposure to violence, and or the accumulated burdens of family economic hardships. Without adequate adult support, the body's regulating system will remain activated. What do I mean by that, activated? There is a part of the brain called the amygdala, and it tells tells us, like it informs us before we consciously know it, that we might be in danger. Remember, the brain is in service of survival. So when the amygdala starts to hum, it alerts us that something's going on. It's sort of a stress response. And when that stress response system hums but doesn't get a break, it can interfere with development of the brain or child development or brain development. The chemical response system also can be altered and the structural development as well. All of these things interfere with other organ systems that increase the risk for stress-related disease as well as cognitive impairment. Because when you're under stress, especially high stress that's sort of unrelenting, it's really hard to learn something new. Think about it. If you're under threat of something harming you or something that's dangerous, are you really in the best position to learn a new skill? Probably not. So if you're living in persistent stress that feels threatening, toxic stress, then you're not learning new things because what you're doing is you're surviving this emotional fear state. It, in, it impairs our cognitive functioning as well as taxes our organs and just body in general. So these consequences don't disappear. They persist into adulthood because the habits become 
just that. They're, they're habits of the body and the mind. So then a little stress becomes a big stress because we never really learned how to cycle through a manageable stress. So everything that's stressful feels threatening. So let's move into the neuroscience of stress. And sometimes I'll introduce a personal experience here and sometimes I won't. But this, this section is the neuroscience and the personal experience section. So let's talk about substance misuse. This experience can present in so many different ways. And at the same time, it is highly, it is, it is a highly prevalent adverse childhood experience. It's the first it's first and foremost so important to know that if you experienced a caregiver who misused substances like alcohol, drugs, cannabis, uh, prescription drugs, street drugs, whatever they were, it's not your fault and it did impact you. So let me say that again. It's not your fault that somebody misused substances to alter how they feel about themselves and their life. Often children who have a caregiver who misuses drugs and alcohol feel like they're at fault. Let's look at it this way. If a person you love and care about acts one way when they're sober and then another way after using drugs or alcohol, then the child has at least two separate, has to have at least two separate ways to deal with the same person. Now that's stressful. That doesn't mean that the person is two separate people, but for the child, the experience of that person is different under the influence of substances. I'm going to say this a lot, and I'm going to say it now. The brain is in service of survival. So the brain has to be prepared in order to continue on. So knowing how to be in the presence of a person is critical to survival. And being able to read that in advance is very, very important to, again, our survival. So imagine how difficult it is if you also have to figure out how to survive when your caregiver or loving parent is under the influence and then act very differently than they do when they're not under the influence. Alcoholism and addiction are persistent. So there's something that one deals with on a consistent basis. That's why it's called an addiction. It's not a, oh, somebody drinks occasionally, or it's a, it's a persistent condition. It's a persistent disease. So the stress is consistent also, and that's why it's called toxic stress. And I'm just talking about the toxic stress related to living with and trying to manage the stress that comes from being raised by or cared for by somebody who struggles with substance misuse or addiction. There are two main stress hormones. Cortisol and adrenaline. You don't really have to remember the names, but you might have linked cortisol to stress because we've talked about it a lot and it's kind of gotten a lot of play lately. Cortisol prepares the body for 
a fight or flight response. While adrenaline readies the body to respond to that threat. Cortisol and adrenaline are sort of, again, like anxiety and excitement, best friends. But let's talk about cortisol first, because this is the primary hormone that helps us to regulate our stress. And regulating our stress is is really helpful. So what cortisol does, it's great in moderation, but it's detrimental in excess. It shows up in excess in toxic, stressful situations, persistent, stressful situations that don't give us any reprieve. So this is the part of the brain, or there is a part of the brain I shared earlier called the amygdala, and its job is to keep you safe. So before we're consciously aware that any danger might even exist, I want to say this, it's not always accurate but it revs the engine to alert you to potential danger because we have to be alerted to potential danger and then we decide whether it's danger or not danger. That's what stress is. And so the amygdala in this deep part of the limbic system says, hey, something's up. And you're, you're barely even aware of it. Your body is much more aware of it than your mind has even come online yet. So when the amygdala turns on, then it reports to, I know you've heard this phrase, the adrenal system to release the cortisol and the adrenaline. Well, cortisol, like I said, is good in moderation. It helps us survive. It helps us to learn. It helps us to grow. It even helps us to heal when we're injured. It also, this dumps the sugar into our bloodstream to help us think faster and to move faster because remember, fight or flight, if you need to run, you're going to need all the energy resources that you have in your body. So boom, it dumps the sugar and says, get moving. So cortisol also tells your body to ignore other bodily functions that are necessary in a fight or flight situation. Now, if you really have to fight or flight, Do you need your digestive system at that time? Probably not. You're not having to decide what to have for dinner if you're in a fight or flight situation. If you're in a fight or flight situation, do you really need your reproductive system online at that moment? Well, probably not because you're not planning to have a baby or reproduce a baby so you really can shut down a lot of these major systems in our body and focus explicitly on the fight or flight and moving away from the danger. So that's all good. The brain is in service of survival and cortisol helps us survive. That's how how cortisol works. It shuts down the systems we don't need. It activates the systems that we do need in order to move forward. But sometimes that can be too much of a good thing. When a person, particularly a child, experiences high cortisol and adrenaline levels over an extended period of time, there are symptoms and consequences to that. Children can experience fatigue, which is, it's like being exhausted and holding on for dear life 
You know, and that actually makes me feel really sad when I say that because that feeling of needing to just hold on for dear life but being so tired and and feeling done is is really what toxic stress does to children and and to adults as well, but it starts in childhood. So this this level of stress and this constant pushing of cortisol and adrenaline also create mood swings. So it makes it difficult for people to think clearly when they're holding stress. So remember, we can't think of the best solution if we're highly activated in a stressful or dangerous situation. It also causes mental fogginess because it at first it releases the sugar into our brain and it helps us to be sharp and clear and think, oh my gosh, what should I do? And you can almost do things automatically. But once that burst of sugar runs out and there's no time to replenish the bucket, then there the mental fogginess sets in and there's sort of like a, I don't know what to do. Again, kind of feeds into the exhaustion. And the same thing with muscle weakness. When your body is prepped for flight, our muscles and our body are strong and ready to go, are ready to flee a situation. But when you hold that position for too long, it's exhausting and it feels more like heavy weights that you're trying to carry all the time. So I hope that makes sense about how the, there's a big difference between toxic stress versus healthy stress and moderated or mediated stress in terms of growth and development versus this toxic, draining, depleting level of stress that really steals from us our health and our well-being. Okay, again, delusional optimism. So let's move into resilience. And why does this, why does talking about toxic stress lead us to also talking about resilience and optimism? Are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? Where do you land on that spectrum? If you think of optimism and pessimism as a spectrum, Where do you fit on that line? Guess what? It turns out it really does matter. We know that having constant elevated levels of stress hormones impacts our health. But in fact, people who are more optimistic in their worldview tend to have more stability in their stress response system. So that means that they're able to manage and regulate their stress response system more so than a person who has a more pessimistic worldview. That's so important to know just as an individual about ourselves, but it's also helpful to know as we raise children and we think about other people in our lives that we care about or who are in our environment. So mood is part of temperament, and it shows up with us at birth. So there are people who are just have a little bit more of a negative mood than other people do. Like that's a temperament type uh, or quality. 
However, optimism and pessimism are also learned. And we have a lot of flexibility and choice in how we choose to view the world. Now, I'm not saying that that's easy. I'm not saying that it's easy to change the way you view the world. But what I am saying is that it can certainly impact your body's ability to regulate stress and to manage your emotions if you are willing to commit to learning how to be more optimistic in your worldview. So there's a song that I remember singing. I don't know. I sang it to my kids. I know that. And I probably sang it myself as a kid, which is kind of weird because I have no idea where this song came from. But it's called Sunny Side. And it goes, uh, stay on the sunny side, always on the sunny side, stay on the sunny side of life. You'll feel no pain as they drive you insane if you stay on the sunny side of life. Okay, so as I was writing this episode, okay, I sing terribly. It's actually showed up in my 23 and me that yeah, I can't I don't I'm not the singer in the family. But the point is that when I was writing this podcast, that song just came flooding into my brain. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so weird because I always think, okay, what's the sunny side of the situation? And clearly I know all the words, so it must, and I have a podcast called Delusional Optimism. So I feel like I am a learned optimist. I also feel like I am temperamentally uh, more of a positive mood baby person. So I don't struggle as much with pessimistic situations. However, I think that it's, I think a lot of that is learned. So what researchers have found is that people who tend to be more pessimistic struggle more with regulating their emotions and they they struggle more with self-soothing. So when things are feeling like they're going down the wrong path, they have a much harder time self-soothing and saying to themselves, don't worry, it's going to be okay. You know, we're going to find a way out of this. Instead, that that self-talk doesn't flow into their mind. What a cool thing to know that if things aren't going well, that we can choose to reframe a story to help us deal with our stressful response to that situation. Again, I'm not saying that this is easy and I'm not saying be totally Pollyanna to every terrible situation. But I am saying that we don't have control over many, many events that happen to us. But we can try to find sort of the light at the end of the tunnel when things don't go the way we planned. Optimism is completely a protective buffer for resilience. So we can use it in ourselves and in our parenting by helping to teach people exactly the stay on the sunny side mentality. We can talk with young children about how things happen that are disappointing, how things happen that are stressful or just don't go their own way, and then help them learn to see the positives in that situation. That's a gigantic gift and a skill 
to give to children, by having those conversations. You know, you don't always win all the prizes or you don't always get what you want. Oh, hello, Rolling Stone song. But you get what you need, hopefully. And that's what we work towards is helping and supporting people getting what they need and then also working towards what they want. So experience builds neuropathways. Having a lot of adult, having a loving adult helps children navigate their way through their big feelings and gives them the gift of resilience building. Remember, relationships are key to resilience. Having a loving, attuned, attached, communicative caregiver or person in your life as a child is like having a guide. And that guide is the gift, is the person who gifts you resilience and the capacity to thrive out of adversity. Let's jump into some actionable takeaways from this episode. First, when you're able to become aware that you're feeling threatened, check in with yourself if that's real or imagined. That's really important in terms of being in tune with your own body and your own mind because your body's going to know something way before your mind knows. However, there's a saying sort of in clinical psychology, you know, the body informs the mind and the mind informs the body, but the body knows first. So allow yourself to be conscious of your body and your mind in a situation that's activating your stress response. Say, be curious, what the heck's going on? Why am I feeling this way? Why am I feeling activated? Remember, what you're experiencing is autonomic. And what does autonomic mean? Well, it just means automatic. It's just happening. You're not thinking about it or making it happen. It is just happening. So you're not responding from your rational brain. You're reacting to your survival instinct. Is that really necessary? That's the question I would say. Ask yourself in that situation. If you feel your body responding in an automatic way to something that feels stressful, you're probably going to know if there's something life-threatening and you need to be really prepared for that or Is it old tags and old history that you can work on to self-soothe and settle down so you don't have to have such a big response to just a regular stressor? So asking yourself, is this response necessary or does this response match the situation that I'm in right now? Often people with trauma over-respond to stressful events and respond similarly to all stressful events. There's no differentiating between, you know, a simple stressful event versus highly stressful event. They all kind of elicit the same physical and emotional response in our body because they had to in order to protect, self-protect. And remember, What's the brain in service of survival? So that's okay. Our brain did, our brain and our body did what it was supposed to do, 
which was to keep us alive. So be kind, be kind, be kind to yourself about this. And find people who can also be kind and give yourself grace and give others grace and in terms of understanding that this is wired in. This is hard stuff. It's not easy stuff. If it were easy, we would have already handled it. We would have already managed it and changed it or dealt with it. But it isn't. It's hard stuff. And we might have to deal with it for a long time, but that's okay. Take some deep breaths. This is going to sound completely corny, but it really, really does help people find their calm and you know, we need to find our calm at different points in our lives. So I'm going to do this with you. And it's first, we're going to inhale deeply through our nose where you go, hold it. Release through your mouth. So we can breathe, inhale deeply through our nose. I usually say to the count of seven, hold it for seven and then release through the mouth for seven and do this several times in order to sort of regulate your breath and modulate your, your breath. And that can sort of help people to find their center and to find their calm and just relax a little bit. Breath is a cleanser and a disperser of energy and anxiety and trauma. So we need to embrace it and use it to our advantage. So once you've recovered from whatever it is that the stressor that came into your you know, sphere of influence, once you've sort of recovered from the initial fear and response to it, look at what triggered you. What was that? What were the warning signs? Think through what really happened and talk yourself through what really happened, not what you were afraid was happening. Because usually what's going on is something starts to happen and we go to a place of being afraid that something else is happening and then we go down that road. We don't stop and say, wait a second, that might be happening. No, we go to the immediate, that is happening, and I'm afraid of that, and so I'm going full force running down that road, and that's not really what happened. So look for the triggers and figure out how to stay on the path that's accurate. Review what happened with somebody that you trust and practice noticing how your past experiences influence your present experiences and ways of thinking. Because if you have somebody you trust to talk that through, it's really helpful to recognize those patterns. This is true for everyone. So if this is your experience, you are not alone. We would not be doing this podcast if you were the only one this happens to. This happens to everybody at some point or another. Then the next time, and trust me, there will always be a next time, Try to notice your stress response and slow it down. You know, kind of put on the brakes ahead of time and think, wait a second, I went down that road really fast the last time and I was wrong or it didn't lead me to the place that I really wanted to go. Maybe I can take some breaths and slow things down. This is the process and the consequence of trauma and adversity in childhood. But 
we have the ability to heal and to learn strategies for managing our emotions. We have the ability to teach our children to manage their emotions. And especially we have the ability to do this with people that we love and that we trust. And that's really at the heart of it because relationships are at the heart of resilience. So we need to find those people in our lives who are loving and willing to go through life with us and participate with us fully and emotionally Whether they're family by love or family by blood, it doesn't matter. What matters is that they're safe people who we can be genuine and authentic with, and they help us grow and become the best selves that we can be. So with that, my friends, I will talk to you next time. I love you. And now go out and leave a life print. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I appreciate the opportunity to connect with you. If you're interested in booking a training, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me at my website, Dr. B Connections. There's a big button that says, book a training with Dr. B. It's that easy. If this show has been beneficial for you, please share it with your friends and family. Spreading the word about the show helps us grow our audience and helps continue to change the world together. Again, thanks so much for listening to Delusional Optimism. Now, go leave a life print. Thank you for listening to this special episode of Delusional Optimism brought to you by St. Agnes Medical Center and Every Neighborhood Partnership. We hope you're encouraged by Dr. B's message and find her tips helpful for managing life's stressors and building a more resilient self. For more episodes in this special series, please visit St. Agnes Medical Center's website at www.samc.com. This episode is produced and published by the editing team at TruthWork Media. TruthWork Media is a full-fledged podcasting and social media agency located in South Bend, Indiana with clients all around the world. For more information, visit them at truthworkmedia.com. These materials and all discussions of these materials are for educational purposes only and do not constitute medical or mental health advice. The presenter is not a licensed mental health or medical service provider. If you need medical or mental health care or advice, you should contact your doctor or therapist, or you can contact your insurance company for a referral. This show and all of its contents are copyright 2020 Dr. B. Leave a Life Print. Reproduction or use requires written consent of Dr. Kristen Beasley.